remember for us, like special interests are like people. And we actually can see what part of the brain lights up in neurotypical people would be when you see your mother, that part of your brain would light up in autistic people. When we see our dragon, that part of the brain lights up. Somebody comes in and they fix your dragon, AKA they fix your mother. Like this is something so important to you. Of course, you're going to interpret that as they love me and they'll be loyal forever. Episode 32, Animation is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Oh, hey, Angela. Hey, Matt. Oh, man. Uh, I have been down the IMDb rabbit hole. Oh, no, that's a dark, dark rabbit hole. Did they try to convince you to buy a subscription? Is it did it get that dark or did you manage? Uh, Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they never really stop. What are you studying? What will you be info dumping on me this week, my friend? Oh, I'm so happy. Mm. Uh, So I I just discovered that uh, one particular voice actor is autistic. And uh, from that, it turns out that other voice actors are autistic. And we're, we are going to go into a, a deep, deep dive today about how animation itself is a very, very autistic medium. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait for, uh, I cannot wait to tell you about these things. And I cannot wait for the audience to hear all these neat, neat things because I, I'm guessing that we have more than one animation anime fan in the I, audience. I am very confident on that. And I will also say, having been, I don't know, doxxed by the TikTok algorithm. Oh, of course. There is a huge crossover in general with acting and autism. Oh, voice yes. acting. Like I hear a lot of voice acting. So I do a lot with audiobooks. And so, uh, and then TikTok does these like weird Venn diagrams of my life where it's like a voice actor that does audiobooks that also does um, like overdubbing of Japanese cartoons. Of course. Will be talking about their autism in a 30 second TikTok. And I'm like, what? Well, all my worlds are coming together. This is the way. <laughs> it is the way. So, but I think acting, I mean, I think it's not surprising 
that autistic people would like to do voices and pretend to be other people for lots of reasons. We're yeah. obviously very good at acting since we have to do a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, the, so the I, I can't wait to see how this shows up in, in the world, but I'm not totally surprised that we have influenced culture here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing because, you know, acting is just masking and we are experts at masking because we have to be. Uh, voice acting is essentially echolalia because, again, because of our hyper-connected brains, uh, because of our hypersensitive bodies, we pick up on a lot of nuance uh, with our environment, with sounds. We, we innately record and repeat what we hear. Mm. So because of that, there are a lot of people who have made a career out of uh, listening to the world around them, listening to animal noises, listening to accents, listening to, you know, other people speak and then repeating it and being experts at that. Yeah. And, and animation itself requires a lot of monotropism in order to produce millions of individual drawings that go together to make a cartoon. And this is, so again, you know, so going back to even caveman days. So it turns out that there is a cave in France that has all these weird half paintings all around. And when uh, researchers discovered it, they're like, that's very bizarre. Why would they not do this? But they were looking at it with flashlights. And when they lit a fire, it turns out that the flickering of the fire made the images it move. It animated it. It animated it. There are animated cave paintings. Stop it. We have to I, go there. You I guys, do you want to go on a trip with us? We should do an autistic culture trip and look at cave drawing paintings. Seriously, animated. seriously. And I, you can bet that that was made by an autistic caveman because, you know... Uh, yeah, while the other guy was yeah. making the first weapons outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, going out and killing a boar versus, hey, guess what? I can make life on the walls. I'm going to take and the story of killing the boar and I'm going to animate it, you guys. This is awesome. You talk while this plays in the background. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. That's the that's the mindset you, that you have to be in because it's not what is real. It is the facsimile of, of what is real. And being able to accurately reproduce or go into a whole new thing, because that's the thing about animation. It's limitless uh, based on, you know, uh, at least without animators carpal tunnel or anything, but mm, mm. you know, you can do anything. And that's, that's one of the big things that drew Walt Disney previously covered on the podcast into animation about these possibilities. And of course, Walt Disney was not just an animator, but he was also the original voice actor for Mickey Mouse. You know who the current voice actor for Mickey Mouse is? I do not. Have you ever seen The Office? Yes, of course. Uh, you, you know, in the last season, the boom mic operator who fell for Pam? That's Mickey Mouse. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he is a prolific voice actor these days. And uh, he has a lot of uh, credits uh, to his name. Uh, but uh, I, I couldn't find anything that pointed out to him being autistic, so he won't go much further into it. But again, it's kind of neat that uh, this uh, random dude who looks very average uh, is actually Mickey Mouse. But uh, this goes into uh, a lot of other voice actors. And we'll start off with the, the person who got me on this rabbit hole. Uh, uh, is there a pun with the word rabbit? 
Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't know well, if it was like a Bugs Bunny reference I was going for. Well, uh, it, it actually, uh, it would not surprise me, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there because uh, the voice of Bugs Bunny is autistic. Uh, uh, all right. So, yeah. Uh, what so, got you into it? Though? Uh, this, this so there was a a man named Corey Greg Weinberg, who is better known as Corey Burton. And this, uh, he started his career at age 17 under the stage name Corey Weinman. And he started imitating Hans Conrad for Disney. And you, you know who Con- Hans Conrad is. Uh, it, he's, he's been in hundreds and hundreds of things in the 50s to the 80s. Uh, he was the voice of the Grinch in uh, oh, uh, yeah. How, How the, the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, 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 no, no, that, that was... No. Uh, yeah, no, that yeah, that's Boris Karloff, uh, Frankenstein. Oh. Uh, but in uh, uh, Halloween is Grinch Night, uh, he oh. took over, and subsequent appearances, uh, uh, the Grinch, Grinch is the Cat in the Hat, uh, all sorts of other neat stuff. He was a very prolific Salvador Dali-looking guy. But but anyway, he also studied radio acting with Dawes Butler, who did Yogi Bear, Snagglepuss, Quick Draw McGraw. And uh, he went on to study under all the original radio actors and classic style radio dramas. But he was unsure about pursuing voice work because he was very, very shy and formally diagnosed autistic. But uh, the thing that got him into it is that he loved Disneyland and they needed an announcer for now. now arriving on the monorail, and they they needed to record some tracks for the haunted mansion. Uh, he was a protege to Paul Freeze, which again everybody knows him. He was, uh, let's say, Boris Badenoff from Rocky and Bullwinkle. All of the voices ever in the Rankin and Bass specials, and uh, he he was a very prolific actor too. So anyway, he got into voice acting and. My guess is that because he formed such tight relationships with these people and they were also masters of impression and they were also very echolalic, that Mm -hmm. uh, given our hyper-connected brains and the way that we, you know, interact with people, they were also probably of our people. Mm. So anyway, he got his uh, big break uh, doing Disneyland voices and Disney World voices. Uh, He he became... uh, uh, the voice of Ludwig von Drake uh, back in the 70s uh, and uh, did all these Disney specials and to this day still voices him. Uh, these days, uh, he uh, people might know him better as Cad Bane and Count Dooku on, in Star Wars stuff. Uh, oh. he, voiced, he voiced Brainiac for Justice League. And I, one of my things is that I, I knew him best as a, a Transformers voice, where he was the voice of Spike, the human companion to the Transformers, because, you know, autistic people love hanging out with robots. Uh, Brawn, Sunstreaker, and Shockwave. And Shockwave is uh, very much based on evil Spock, because he's cold and logical, and very much an autistic-coded character. And, uh, of course, he voiced Shockwave and came back to voice Shockwave several years later in a new incarnation. He also voiced Ratchet, a crotchety old Transformer who, you know, dislikes everything. Uh, it, it's great. And he was he was very, very, again, growing up, those were my role models. And I was like, there's something about this that very much appeals to me. I had no idea that he was like me. Mm. And to this day, he... he he avoids public appearances unless he's in a very, very controlled environment. Same. And 
Yeah, because mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. there's so much chaos out there. And, and of course, you know, there are many, many fans who love him. And it's it's great to meet fans, but oh my God, it's overwhelming. And this leads into another thing, because he also worked with the famous Frank Welker. And Frank Welker ha- has been in probably almost everything known to man, started off doing Freddy with Scooby-Doo. Uh, he, he now also does Scooby-Doo. Uh, after Lorenzo Music passed away, he took over the voice of Garfield. He does the voice of Abu in Aladdin. And uh, uh, he, I mean, literally everything under the sun, he makes animal noises. If there's a movie that needs animal noises, this man steps in to do animal voices. And uh, everything that he's done, I mean, he is the voice of Megatron in Star Wars. Uh, in, in Star Wars. Uh, the voice of Megatron in Transformers. He yeah. he is everything, everywhere. And I actually got to meet Frank Welker when I was at BotCon. And he gave me such an autistic vibe. Again, no eye contact. The autistic accent really, really was uncomfortable around people. He had to be in a separate room where you go in and met him individually. Oh, because brilliant. See, this is, hold on, let's yeah. stop right there. Yeah. Ask for accommodations, people. This is one of the big advantages of knowing that you are autistic is you can figure out what accommodations will work for you. And like, I was just in Italy recently and I don't, public transportation is really challenging for me. And what I've learned is if I have a bad public transportation experience, it actually ruins the whole day. So even though it costs more and sometimes you can get accommodations without having to pay. In this case, I just chose to pay, but they had private cars. So it was like two seats and a door. And it was like a whole room with a door. And I'm like, that will make it better for me. And then I will be much more likely to enjoy my day when I get there. So when you identify something, like I love that he figured this out, put me in a private room, have people stand in line outside. People will come in one at a time, schedule my breaks, make sure somebody comes to evacuate me when I take a break. You are allowed to do those things. So be, be like Frank. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, because his first BotCon appearance, I believe, was in 2015. Uh, I I was there. It was great. And they made a big thing about how he avoids public appearances at all costs because he gets overwhelmed with crowds. And uh, that's the thing. He needed the accommodations and they made him the accommodations and they gave him a ridiculous amount of money, hopefully. And he was able to handle it. And he showed up for the BotCon dinner and talked about stuff. And again, uh, I I sat at a table full of autistic women and uh, we we all (laughs) shot the breeze about all this kind of stuff. And it was it was a great autistic centered experience. And I, I, I think. He's never, to my knowledge, been diagnosed. And I tried for the sake of this podcast to uh, get uh, some videos to link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating because every time that uh, he's on TV, there are multiple cuts while he's speaking because they they edit out the autistic accent. And it's very, very interesting to, uh, there was a video on CNN about, uh, I, I believe, the, the new Scooby-Doo movie at the time. And they had two cameras, one and then another and another and another, and multiple jump cuts back and forth to stop, as you will notice, the pauses when I speak. Because the pauses when we speak are naturally part of our autistic communication. 
and those were edited out. And it's fascinating. But again, he's still kind of looking around the room and, you know, this kind of stuff, because, again, very much like us. Hmm. But uh, to to stay on, you know, the the theme of uh, firmly in the camp of uh, autistic people, this person, Richard William Wurstein, was diagnosed autistic. Oh, well, diagnosed AUDHD. Hmm. So uh, he uh, was born in Detroit, Michigan, diagnosed AUDHD, uh, and he revealed his autism diagnosis on Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast uh, because he said that the reason he got so passionate about voice acting was that it, quote, the only stuff that translated to me and made sense. Hmm. Uh, he, You might know him better by his stage name, Billy West. Ah. and. Uh, so he grew up in Boston. Uh, he got in various bands. Uh, he loved selling guitars. It was a very big special interest for him. Uh, during the Vietnam War, he was subject to the draft lottery, but he was classified 4F and uh, because of his flat feet, which, oh. again common but uh he he later said that when on futurama he loved recording richard nixon as revenge against nixon because you know he didn't want to go to vietnam and all this kind of stuff so Wait, that was pause. as somebody oh, with yeah. flat feet is flat yeah. feet a typical autistic trait it, it it seems to be because I know lots of people who also do it. But again, it could also be related to the dystonia, the dyspraxia and all the other interesting physiological stuff that makes us who we are. Fascinating. All right. Oh, well, yes. I like to know that many of us were able to get out of the draft and get out of Vietnam with our flat feet. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's uh, that's the way that he did. And again, Brilliant. lifelong vengeance against uh, Richard Nixon. So, you know, playing Richard Nixon is a, a thing. But but anyway, he was a guitarist and singer songwriter with Billy West and the Grief Counselors. Uh, <laughs> lots of trauma okay. in his background, but that's a whole other thing. But he is toured as a guitarist for Roy Orbison and Brian Wilson. Oh, sure. And uh, he did an impression of Mike Love on a Beach Boys-inspired tune, Another Cape Cod Summer. Uh, He has collaborated with Debbie Harry, Lou Reed, Los Lobos, has played live on several occasions with Brian Wilson. Again, a Beach Boys thing going on here. Uh, And uh, (laughs) uh, he he also did did a song on Proposition Infinity uh, under the name Wailing Fungus. But he he loves collecting toys. He loves uh, the echolalia. He's a big fan of Larry Fine from the Three Stooges, which is a big reason why uh, Dr. Zoidberg is who he is. But but anyway, uh, you might know him as Fry. Uh, You might know him as Dr. Zoidberg, uh, Doug, uh, Rin and Stimpy, both. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah, because once uh, John Krakfalewski was uh, fired because he was... uh, Lots of problematic things with John Kay. There's a whole other thing. Definitely not autistic. Definitely sort of pervy. But mm. but anyway, uh, Billy West took over for both voices. He's both Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd now. Uh, he's Popeye, the Honey Nut Cheerios uh, Bee Buzz. And uh, on the subject of Eminem, he's the red Eminem. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, am I? Yeah, yeah, and uh, he he attributes that uh, he's able to make such voices and such sounds. He's Nibbler, he's Fry's dog. No, 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 Frank Welker's Fry's dog. 
Uh, anyway, and uh, uh, Billy West took over as Slimer in Ghostbuster cartoons and Extreme Ghostbusters from Frank Welker. But he didn't know that Frank Welker uh, was lowballed for payment for it because uh, they're very close. Because again, this this uh, this voice acting community is very very tight knit. If you ever see the movie, I know that voice. There are so many voice actors interviewed, and everybody knows each other. They're not willing to cross, you know, uh, uh, the the lines in order to, you know undo each other's success they're very very justice oriented to each other and very very uh supportive of each other in the community which is really really cool they seem like a bunch of really really cool people okay i want to stop here again just to highlight this because if you are listening and you're autistic and you've been struggling with finding your people or you're just like tired all the time trying to navigate the neurotypical world this is such a good lesson because when you go deep into a special interest, especially one like this, you're going to meet a lot of autistic people. So it doesn't have to be your career. I mean, that can work out nicely, but maybe you're just into like My Little Pony, like see previous episode. And if you get into that special interest, you will make autistic friends. And then at least in that community, you're not dealing with the double empathy problem. You're going to have to deal with it at whatever, the doctor's office in the bank. But having a world, and God, how great to have a career where you're in a largely autistic space, where you are in the neuro majority for a change. And then things like, oh, don't treat your colleagues like colleagues like douchebags because in autistic culture, like that's pretty obvious. Like let's disclose our salaries. Let's make sure somebody's not getting lowballed. Let's not steal a job from someone. This is not obvious in neurotypical culture where it's climb the ladder over fairness or maybe it's um like protect your family, family first. Like they have other values in their culture and I don't want to judge those values, but in our culture, we're like, make $10 and screw someone over, or we both make five. Culturally, I'm not saying every single autistic person, but culturally, we know the studies have been done. We've talked about this over and over, listen to the Dimensions of Autistic Culture podcast that we did episode. And you will see, like, we will pick both of us get $5 in, you know, the trolley problem. We're, we're going to always pick equity and fairness as a cultural rule. So, yeah. God, how great to work in that environment, exactly. in that environment. And that's another thing about, you know, uh, his Futurama co-star, John DiMaggio, uh, recently uh, uh, was lowballed for the Futurama re-re-re-revival uh, for Hulu and uh, said, no, I'm not uh, doing Bender unless everybody gets more money. And he was very, very public about it because he's very outspoken about these sort of things and, you know, doesn't want to put other people on the spot. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it seems to be such a great community. Yeah. Uh, I was introduced to Maurice LaMarche, uh, the voice of The Brain, uh, Egon on Real Ghostbusters, uh, many, many other voices through my friend, who is an autistic person named Mark Isham, who did a lot of radio stuff, did a lot of voiceovers, uh, 
very good actor. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, Maurice LaMarche friended me on Facebook uh, through Mark Isham. And mm. uh, I got to, because of Maurice LaMarche, I got to see Rob Paulson live in concert uh, where he was singing uh, like uh, Yakko sings the entire world, United States, Panama, Mexico, Canada, you know. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I know yeah, that. And again, he is a prolific, prolific guy. Does not uh, seem to be... Uh, does not believe himself to be autistic, but again, he he recognizes that his friend Corey Burton is autistic. Yeah, and uh, <sighs> but but that's the thing. There are a lot of autistic people who say, "Oh yes, I I'm like that. I'm like that. I'm like that." No, I can't possibly be autistic, but I am like that and like that and like that and like that and like that. But no, not me. No, no, right. no. But yeah, we'll just call the them way. influenced by autistic culture. Yeah, autism adjacent. We welcome you. Yeah, yeah sure. So yeah, but oh, so. And that's a thing because there are so many, uh, oh, 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 yeah, got to get back on topic. Uh, going off on tangents, on tangents, on tangents. Amazing. This but, is called yes. amazing, everyone. Exactly. We just wanted to demonstrate it to you. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so if you watch anime, there is one autistic character. Well, there is one character that's always been sort of coded as autistic, but again, could be just due to the original writing in Japanese being very focused on studies and stuff. Uh, but it turns out that uh, Kyle Ebert, uh, who is a prolific uh, anime uh, voiceover artist uh, who is uh, very much into video games, uh, does the voice of Gohan on Dragon Ball in uh, American uh, stuff. Uh, very, very studious, has unbelievable power, raised by an asexual alien. He himself is somewhat alien because he's a Saiyan, but anyway, uh, loves to study and uh, puts his acquisition of knowledge above all else. Very autistic coded, played by an autistic guy. Uh, and if you ever heard the phrase Hadouken, he also does the voice of Ryu in Street Fighter. Oh, I know that sound. I love Street Fighter. <gasps> yeah, yeah, he's autistic. And again, uh, Ryu uh, travels the world and tries to get better and tries to get better and tries to get better because he's he's monotropically focused on being the best fighter he can possibly be. So yeah, the voice actor of Ryu diagnosed autistic. So, so this leads to uh, a few other people like uh, uh, Kayla Cromer from Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Really, really wants to be Squirrel Girl for the MCU. Diagnosed autistic, uh, helped her. Uh, you know, Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Coast scars figure out that they're autistic. Uh, very prolific in this. Dan Harmon, who. Uh, has a notable podcast community. Rick and Morty is a frequent because we're going to squeeze this in here under the voice acting because he does mm -hmm. a lot of voice acting. Uh, uh, he's autistic, uh, has talked about it on several occasions, apparently recently gotten into therapy to discuss how, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, officially autistic. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, but you know who else is autistic and does uh, occasional voice acting? Uh, Whitworth Miller. And he he has uh, been officially diagnosed as autistic from Prison Break. He was on The Flash as Captain Cold and uh, famous Hollywood actor and uh, sometimes voice actor Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Notable for Thor in uh, yeah, the, the Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, also, Edgar the Bug in Men in Black. Kingpin on Daredevil. But uh, he's been in like lots and lots of stuff. Uh, 
Jorge Gutierrez is an autistic uh, Hispanic man who has a visually distinct cartooning style and a strong influence in traditional Mexican culture. Uh, he made the Nickelodeon cartoon El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Riviera, the movie The Book of Life, and uh, he's working on the Netflix miniseries Maya and the Three. He was diagnosed autistic shortly after his son was. Because Shocker. Again, oh, we should talk this is about the, the pipeline. Talk about the yes. pipeline, Matt. How oh, does it work? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you go from the, I think that my child might be autistic, to it turns out that no one in this house is neurotypical. Yeah, I because love that. Because this, <laughs> this is the neat thing about doing autism evaluations with people, because, again, I, I see a lot of... Uh, initially people bring their kids to me to say, yeah, my, our kid is not doing well in school socially or is a little strange or this or that or everything else. And again, we say, you know, this is a trait. Really? This is a trait. Really? This is a trait. But I do all those things. And it turns out that, uh, again, because autism is 94%, uh, the, the heritability rate of autism is 94%, at least one parent, usually both because autistic people attract autistic people, are autistic themselves. And you can trace it all the way up the family tree. And this is why a whole bunch of people uh, end up finding themselves. Mm. And... Uh, Hold on one second. I want to double check this because this is an arcane bit of knowledge that I want to double check before mm. I say it out loud. Uh, mm, that's what we do. But yeah, if you're if you are in a relationship oh, yes. where you find communication is easy and you know you're autistic, see if you can do a little evaluation with your partner. I know that's what happened with us. I was like, take this quiz. I'm just curious. I have an idea because communicating with you is so easy. And I've been in so many relationships where communicating was hard. So I started reading like the double empathy research. And I'm like, this would be a weird coincidence if I found the <laughs> one neurotypical guy who's amazing at communicating with autistic people. Yeah. And then sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, the guy I picked is also autistic. This is the way. And, and, and that's the thing. Autistic people breed autistic kids. And uh, I was correct uh, because it turns out that a, a, an autism evaluation revealed that D.L. Hughley's son is autistic. So, oh. again, we you might need to trace it back because, yeah. again, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that L-P-P, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy Matt. Maxwell Adams is the creator of uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and uh, Evil Con Carne. I don't know he, either of those. Oh, oh, it's a Cartoon Network series. Oh, but, uh, okay. He talked about, I have Asperger's and every single social interaction I have is anxiety inducing. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he, he explicitly says that the characters in his shows are autistic. So Billy, Mandy, and Grim, the Grim Reaper, are autistic 
canonically autistic. Ah. So uh, may not uh, uh, Richard Horvath is the voice of Billy also does uh, like uh, Invader Zim. I really, really want him to be autistic, but I can't find anything that there is because, again, he's he gives off very Billy West vibes. But uh, if anyone knows anything else, please add to the comments because, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but uh, oh, oh, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, s- slightly off, but we're, we're I'm going to, since this is our podcast and I can say anything I want, uh, David F. Sandberg, the director of Shazam and Shazam 2 is autistic, uh, diagnosed, uh, in Trapta on the new She-Ra the Princess of Power is canonically autistic and influenced by autistic staffers on the show. Uh, played by Christine Woods, doesn't appear to be autistic herself, could be wrong, but uh, she says that uh, in addition to her bubbly, energetic personality, above average strength, and larger-than-life purple pigtails, the Ethereum is a scientist and mechanical engineer of genius ability, which often comes in handy on adventures with the Princess Alliance, even when they cannot seem to follow her highly sophisticated technical jargon. Because pedantic speech is the way of our people. Yes, we love a little pedantic speech. We might even do some today. Exactly. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, before we get into the big one, of course, uh, I want to talk about uh, watching House of the Dragon. There was one character that struck me as very autistic-coded, King Viserys, because he's got an enormous model of, uh, you know, uh, the King's Landing. He's got his dragon toys. He's got his collection. And he falls in love because, you know, uh, oh, God, what's her face? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, she betrays him. Anyway, uh, she she fixes his dragon model for him, mm-hmm. uh, which is. But Patty Considine is but wait, officially autistic. Stop on that. Hold on, because yes. somebody fixes your dragon model. Yes. Your dragon model. So remember, for us, like special interests are like people, and we actually can see what part of the brain lights up. In neurotypical people, would be when you see your mother. That part of your brain would light up in autistic people when we see our dragon, that part of the brain lights up. Yeah. yeah. So, And Matt will talk about uh, friends and family and fictional characters and they're equal. Like it's not in our culture. Your dragon is just as important as somebody's mother. So somebody comes in and they fix your dragon, a.k.a. they fix your mother. Like this is something so important to you. Of course, you're going to interpret that as they love me and they'll be loyal forever. Yeah, and, yeah. and we will and we will be together forevermore because why would you fix my dragon if you didn't love me and want to be with me forever? This can get us into a little bit of trouble. Again, yeah. we get stuck on this thinking of like logically to me, you would not have come in and saved my dragon if you didn't love me. Yeah. And so as much as in communication with us, neurotypical people will miss some clues. We can miss clues in how we interpret people's behavior based on our values and cultural norms within autistic culture. So sometimes it it takes us down some sad heartbreak roads. It it happens to the best of us. <clears throat> myself. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it is a, we, we mistake that for the autistic mating dance. And when, when it's genuine, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And when it's not, it's an intense betrayal. Right. And that, that uh, brings it, it, it I've often questioned if George R. R. Martin is one of us because, again, he was writing letters to uh, the Fantastic Four fan pages back in the 60s and uh, is a very, very prolific 
reader. Oh, George R. R. Martin attended the very first Comic-Con. And oh. uh, the very first San Diego Comic-Con still has his ticket. And yeah. uh, he, I think he was like number 50. Collectors. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the, mm-hmm. this is the way. So it's it's very, very on topic for us. But, but I want to get to... Uh, this is a person that uh, I've been meaning to cover for some time because he's a prolific animator. Uh, he worked on The Black Cauldron. Uh, he worked on uh, The Fox and the Hound. Uh, he worked on his own. Uh, he was frequently hired and fired by Disney for both being profitable and too weird. Uh, he did Vincent, <laughs> Hansel and Gretel, Frank and Weenie, and Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Hmm. Oh, yes. So because uh, Tim Burton uh, is a prolific uh, autistic man. Uh, he, he, fun fact, he's in the Muppet movie because uh, he, at the time, was uh, a member of the Puppeteers Union and they needed everybody on deck. So uh, in the last scene of the Muppet movie where all the Muppets are standing around under the rainbow, uh, he is in the pit along with John Landis, who is, John Landis played Grover over but uh tim burton is in there uh playing one of the uh uh, uh you know random monster. characters right, yeah, right, but, random but, Muppet. but he is in the muppet movie uh and among all these other uh characters uh, among all these other talents directing animating puppeteering he loves his creative stuff and the thing about you know Night- so nightmare before christmas created by tim burton but it has a lot of influences like uh the 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 Tim Burton wrote a short story, The Nightmare Before Christmas, that the movie is largely based on. But when they started filming, they didn't have a script yet. So his close friend and uh, eternal cinematic life partner, Danny Elfman, uh, from Oingo Boingo and a prolific uh, scorer of movies, uh, Danny Elfman was in this transition period where he he wanted to uh, branch out and do something different. So all of the songs that he wrote about Jack Skellington Sally was about his own life, transitioning from Oingo Boingo into doing film because he wanted to try something new, even though it was scary and weird to him, but it was intriguing. So that's where all the songs came from, and they wrote the movie script around this. And it was directed by Henry Selleck. And Henry Selleck has made a career out of stop-motion animation with uh, Coraline, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, he, he has dedicated his life. So he recently collaborated with Jordan Peele on Wendell and Wild, uh, stop-motion animation, his first movie in 13 years. And if you ever watch footage of him, he stims while he talks, he avoids eye contact, he has the autistic accent, and again, the monotropism in order to focus entirely on this sort of stuff. And it's fantastic. But but again, Tim Burton. Tim Burton is fascinated by German Impressionist cinema. That is a major special interest. All of his friends seem to be autistic. Johnny Depp is autistic. Uh, his partner, Elena Bonham Carter, is the one who first pointed out that he's autistic. And she's very eccentric herself. Everybody that he chooses to work with, he chooses to work with the same group of people over and over and over again. And when... He, when companies say, oh, yes, you are novel and therefore productive and therefore you make us lots of money, we want to work with you, until he's too novel and they say, oh, that's very weird. Right. And uh, so, 
or you have an autistic meltdown or you like, I mean, because we talked about Steve Jobs on the Apple episode, his autistic meltdown that got him fired. Exactly. A lot of without the right accommodations and without being aware of your diagnosis, you can make some career limiting decisions. I yeah. know I have. So we, we don't work well in a structured hierarchy where we have to report creatively and editorially to people above us. We we tend to do best when left to our own devices and can just do the things that we are good at. Yeah, and that that my positive reviews were like Angela is a good solo player. And then my bad reviews were, Angela does not play well in the sandbox. (laughs) I I was once told on an employee evaluation that my work is beyond reproach, that I am incredibly thorough in my reports and in my notes, but I don't stop and talk to coworkers. Mm, and then, work uh, my, on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. My my plan was to stop in and chit chat with coworkers, and I'm like, so you just want me to go into people's office and start talking? Why? And what, like what interrupt that? them? Yeah, so yeah. That like, they lose their train of thought and an hour <laughs> of time for a five yeah. minute conversation about the weather. That's yeah, the goal. Sh- yeah, shouldn't they be working? <laughs> so, so I, I I took that as works great. Uh, you know, is a model employee needs to learn people's names. So. <laughs> You know, but but this is a quote from Tim Burton about working in the system. Ooh. Uh, I was hired and fired like several times throughout my career at Disney. The thing about Dumbo is that's why I think my days with D- Disney are done. I realized that I was Dumbo, that I was working in this horrible big circus and I needed to escape. That movie is quite autobiographical at a certain level. Yeah. And that's oh, that's that's the thing about us. I always love Dumbo. Now I want to go yeah. back and watch it. Yeah, yeah I just exactly. remember he had big ears. I don't remember it. Yeah. Yeah, big ears made fun of by the other elephants, but at the same time, uh the thing that made him different made him extraordinary. Mm. So and, everybody and this, wanted to come see Dumbo, but then everybody yeah. hated Dumbo, but then everyone about, oh, yes, that is my career. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing about everybody listening, because presumably you relate to us and you relate to the topics that we're talking about because because you feel different, because you know that you are different from the people around you. But that difference is what will help you excel. Like I say, you know, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. And Dumbo is not at all like the other elephants. Tim Burton is not like other directors. Um, The things that makes us unique is what makes us, you know, valuable. We, the world needs these different points of view. The world needs esoteric personalities. The world needs a little bit of weirdness in order to make the world a better place because otherwise the world is extraordinarily bland. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com differencepress.com and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So we are taught all the way through school that we need to sit down and be quiet and fit in. We are taught our entire lives that we need to fit in, but we spend the rest of our lives trying to stand out. 
And if you're, you know, you know, if you're already standing out, then that's outstanding because you, you need to be the real you. You need to be as unique as you possibly can because that's, that's where you will find your success. It's, we are just not meant to work within a system that is not meant for our brains because we are, we are more sensitive. We are more perceptive. Hence, all of these voice actors making all of these wonderful animal noises, making all of these wonderful impressions, doing impressions of accents. Because that's the thing about echolalia. Uh, because of our hyperconnected mirror neurons. Uh, so mirror neurons are these cells in the brain that facilitate social interaction, right? Because our brains are hyperconnected and because we have hyperconnected mirror neurons, we are more likely to accidentally copy other people. We are more likely to accidentally copy fun things that they say. We accidentally copy accents and people think that we're making fun of them. We accidentally copy their movements, which is, again, what leads us to being great actors and lead us to being great voice actors and being great you know, replicators of all things because we are very, very into the details. Uh, this goes back into the bottom-up processing versus the top-down processing because we see the details that they don't. They see the big picture and try to find the details. We see the details and try to find the big picture. And we, we love these details. And that's why I love working with autistic people because they're detail-oriented. I love, uh, I, I will hire autistic people to do things that I need, like uh, my, my uh, furnace needed to be fixed, my, my HVAC unit. And uh, I said, hey, anyone know any autistic people? And someone said, yeah, my cousins. And uh, for autistic people, autistic presenting, because again, we didn't have a conversation yeah, about autism, <laughs> but came out, took a look at it. Uh, it. It was that cartoon effect of a cloud of smoke with saws and hammers. And then a half hour later, a pristine new inside unit and outside unit leveled off at 90 degrees. Everything shiny and at a straight edge, beautiful work, could not ask for better. Because that's the thing about us. When, again, People like to micromanage us and people like to make us do things in their way, just like the Disney machine with Tim Burton. Mm. But given us left up to our own devices, because we are so detail oriented, the end product will be something magnificent. And this this is why I really, really love diving into this kind of stuff because I am, I am echolalic myself. I am a big fan of this. I love researching these things. It's it, this. So this brings me into another thing because, uh, I, uh, so when I see, uh, kids, Oh, fun fact. When you were talking about the light up areas of the brain, mm -hmm. did you know that, uh, they've done uh, brain scans and a specific area lights up for Pokemon names? No, uh, that is, oh my God. That is, that is unrelated to family or friends names. There's a Pokemon area of the brain for autistic people. Yes, yes. You need to look this up because oh it's so neat. They've done studies. And again, I think that that's very related to our autistic brains because granted, there are several neurotypical people who play Pokemon, but the people who love the Pokemon and know a thousand names, I can get you to around maybe 180, 200. But uh, again, I, I have sadly dropped off over the years. My Pokemon day was in the 90s with uh, red and blue. I can mm. school you on the original 151. 
But uh, the kids today grew up with uh, Generation 5 and thousands of Pokemons, and they know way more than I do. So uh, if, if you are one of these people, this is a challenge. Write as many as uh, you can in the comments without looking them up, because I want to see how many Pokemon you can name. Got to catch them all. The Pokemon. Got to catch them all. Exactly. But that's this is the thing about. So so anyway, akin to Pokemon, one of my favorite video games of all time is Skylanders. Oh, I love Skylanders with the things you put the yes. little toys uh, and you put yeah. them on the little thing and then they zoom into your TV screen. Skylanders is autistic crack because uh, so there's. I don't know, a million and a half uh, toys that you can collect, each one individually sculpted. Each, each one, one individually, playable. like 20 bucks. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because it, it made a ridiculous amount of money. And some games were better than others. I didn't really get into the Skylanders Racers. Trap Team was adequate. I love Giants, but the game... Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, the... I love Trap Team. That's the one I'm going to get to. I didn't love the racers. I didn't. Uh, Swap Force was adequate. Oh, but yes, Trap that's Team, the one I played the most, Swap Force. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, it, I liked the ability to swap them around, but oh my God, Trap Team was the thing because not only... Not only could you collect all the Skylanders, not only could you play all the Skylanders, but now you could battle the bosses and trap them in crystals, which you could also collect. And it was Ghostbusters plus crystals plus crazy monsters. And it, it was just, it tickled every area of my brain of gotta collect them all. Mm. And... And the best part about this is all of the voice actors we have mentioned today are in this game. Really? Yes. Such an autistic presence. I, except for Frank Welker. I don't believe Frank Welker's in. But but so many other people in this game. Uh, even the Crypt Keeper plays a role in the game. They, they sought out every voice actor they could find to cover many, many voice actors, to, to cover many, many Skylanders. And not when I got into this game, I love collecting the toys. I loved arranging the toys. I love lining up the toys. I love playing with the toys, but I really, really, really love looking up IMDb to see who played the Skylanders. And it... Oh, God, that was such a satisfying thing to put, you know, names to the voices because, again, with my hypersensitive hearing, I am very, very good at picking out voice actors and saying, I recognize that voice from this and this and this. And when I find a voice actor that's like, oh, my God, I had no idea they were so versatile. That's an edited area of, you know, delight, because then I'm like, oh, hey, you are incredibly talented. I did not recognize you at all. So. Yeah, Skylanders is just the jam. I am, uh, and if you're into Skylanders, you can probably pick up. You know, they're they're probably like on eBay for two bucks now. Uh, they have shiny Skylanders. I have I found shiny Skylanders in the wild. They were far too expensive for me to pick up online, but uh, I found a few in the wild, and they are my treasure. They are on uh, my wall downstairs with all of my autistic toys, but. Uh, but yeah, so I, I really, really hope uh, we will include a lot of uh, show notes with this. So if you're, I, uh, I will go ahead and add these to the show notes now before I forget. Because if you are interested in uh, these sort of things, if you're interested in learning more, 
please do because it's a very, very, very fun deep dive. It's a very, very fun bit of data acquisition. It's, it's fun to explore our culture and the people within it. And I, I could not be happier about, you know, voice acting, about animation, about all of this stuff, because it, it truly is representative of who we are and why we find things delightful. Yeah. And such just such a great example of how broadly culture has been affected for everybody. Like those are these are shows that are watched around the world in, you know, many age brackets. I think we've covered all the generations that are living right now. And um, that that is I think one of the big payoffs of having a special interest and having a monotropic focus and being able to really master an art. And there are a lot of autistic people in this space who have mastered the art of voiceovers and animation. So thanks for sharing it with us. My pleasure. Uh, But uh, to wrap up, uh, hey, Angela, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? I had a very fun actually life-changing, more valuable than therapy revelation last night. I'm going to share it with you. And I think this is like, A, why it's so important to either get diagnosed or self-diagnosed, but to know you're autistic because some dots will connect in your life that can be because they can be traumatizing. You could be like, oh, that was terrible, but they can also be very healing. So this is a very healing story. Um, Oh, and it includes heels. So there's a pun. Uh, my, My husband was walking to the couch and the sound and vibration of his footsteps made me imagine murdering him with a machete. Like Misophonia will do that. Yes. I was like, why does he have feet? Why does he walk? Why does he walk near me? I am going to have to murder this human. It will be very sad. My whole body was just like filled with murderous, murderous rage. He literally just walked. Like did nothing to offend me. Probably walked to like bring me something, like a cup of tea. And as this like rage filled my body, I had this flashback of my dad. So my dad was never physically abusive, but he was mentally torturous. And he would often comment on my weight. And one of the way, and I was always fat as a kid and an adult. And one of the ways he would comment on my weight was that I walk heavy. You walk so heavy. And there was a we had a couch and then near the couch was this bar and in the bar were like stacked wine glasses in those cute little, like you put the stem of the wine glass and then, and I would walk by the bar and the wine glasses would rattle and my dad would lose his mind, lose his absolute fucking mind on me. And then my mom would like try and protect me. Eventually I would like walk out one door and walk in the other door of the house to avoid walking by the bar when my dad was there. Because it was just, and it was, it felt like it was an attack on being fat. So then it had all this like fat shame because everybody else could walk by the bar and he didn't lose his mind, but I would walk by the bar and he would lose his mind. When I had this revelation last night, which I will tell you about, I texted my sister and I said, do you remember how Mickey would go nuts when I would walk by a bar? She's like, how could I forget? 
Like I was, this was a place in our home. I was not allowed to walk or the walls would come off the house. Sort of like I was about to kill my husband. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, he had no idea how to ask nicely for accommodations. It really was driving him nuts. He probably didn't say anything 3,000 times a day about all the sounds that were driving him nuts. And yeah. so I realized, oh, I, I, if I didn't know, I mean, obviously my husband made that noise and I was like, oh, I need an accommodation. I need to move the room. I need to leave the room. I need to put in my noise canceling headphones. Like this is obviously not a big deal. I can manage this. Yeah. Like I have the skills. I can handle this. But I could, I could easily have blown up my marriage with yeah. things like that, which my father managed to blow up his. So I was talking to my sister this and I felt like incredible, incredible, like love and forgiveness for my dad. Like I got it. He wasn't talking about me being fat at all. Yeah. He was talking about his sensory sensitivity. Yeah. And if he just had like a little rubber covering on it, they wouldn't have rattled uh, because, you know, there would have. That's the thing about knowing yourself. Oh my so God, you can we could change move the fucking wine glasses. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a, a solution. So um, so my assumption was that my dad did not listen to this podcast, but my sister, she, she talked to him and he said, I don't know, I listen to that. Maybe I'm autistic too, but I'm too old to care. So my dad's like 81. But I was like, mm, I love you, dad. That, it's so sweet. So I, I think there's so many people, I get letters all the time from listeners who are recognizing themselves or their kids or their parents. And we talk about the joy and the beauty of autistic culture, because when you see that there's so much goodness and so many accommodations are really not that hard to have more of the goodness and less of the meltdowns, which you know, traumatized my little 12 year old soul. So I also have a lot of love for my 12 year old who didn't know she was autistic and didn't know how to deal with her father, but everyone was doing their best, man. And now we can do better. That, and that's all you can do because knowledge is power. Yeah. So that was my favorite thing about being autistic and knowing I'm autistic was just like total forgiveness, freedom. <sighs> so that's my like wish that. for everybody. Moments of recognition that give you a sense of self-love and freedom and forgiveness. That's you need that. Yeah. So That's awesome. this was all about sounds. We just we just spent the whole time. My my story, these stories, all about sound. We want to hear your autistic sound experience. Sound is a huge part of autistic culture. Who is your favorite voiceover actor? What is your favorite animation? And what are some sound memories you can share with us? Drop them in the comment comments. Please do rate and review the podcast and also share this with your friends. Um, share because your friends are probably autistic too, by the way. Yeah, uh, and share this with people who you think would like to celebrate autistic culture with us. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. 
or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.